more faith that could be developed. There's more righteousness and God, we could be more faithful to you. So no matter where we are, I'm better than this. Help us today, God, to realize our need for you and make us desperate. David said, as the deer thirsts for the water, my soul thirsts for you. Make us thirsty today, God, that not only will we seek you on Sunday morning, but when we leave this place, we will take that thirst out into the world, God, that we might inspire others to be thirsty for what you're offering your people, God. We need you. This generation, this this nation, this world needs true revival. We need an inspiration from heaven. We need a move of your spirit. So God, take us now from where we've been into a place where we understand your word. Minister to our minds and our hearts and our spirits this morning that when we leave here, we'll be different than when we came. We need you, oh God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you give him one more hand clap of praise? Hallelujah. Bless his holy name. You can be seated in his presence if you're able to. Hallelujah. Let me make a couple of announcements. Since most of you talk through the announcement video, I don't put everything up there. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the first thing I want to recognize this morning is that we have a, a, a plethora of gifted people in this church and gifted to do a lot of things. Uh, this praise team is the best around. You're just not going to find any better. Amen. Amen. You're just not going to find any better. I don't care where you go. I've been in a lot of places, been in a lot of conventions, preached a lot of places. You just don't find any better. Uh, we've got a lot of gifted teachers and nursery workers and, and a plethora of talent in this church. And one thing that God has just blessed us with are people that are called into his ministry. And several weeks ago, I was blessed to set forth uh, two of the most special people that I've ever set forth, which is my son and his better half, uh, Rachel, and this past week, I took him down to the Buchanan Church of God, and he passed his test to be an exhorter in the Church of God, so Jared is now a licensed minister in the Church of God, and he's, amen, amen. He's starting earlier than I started. I was running a little bit later than him in life before I uh, found my path and, and got into church and dedicated my life to the Lord and, and got my license. So he's actually ahead of me at the same point that I was at in his uh, life and hopefully his walk with God. And it was prophesied over him several years ago at the Tri-State Church of God by a visiting pastor that... Uh, he was going to stand on my shoulders and do things that I've never done and seen things I've never seen. And I'm going to be honest with you, there was a lot of years that was the only promise that held me. There was a lot of years, a lot of dark times, a lot of seasons where I wasn't sure that, that there was anything positive happening in his life. And thank God that God is faithful to his word. Parents, if you've, had, if you've been blessed with a word over your children, it doesn't matter how dark it gets from here to there and there to here, you hold on to the word of God because there's one thing he cannot do, and that is lie. He is not a man that can lie. You hold on to the word of God. Amen.
Second thing I want to bring up is next Sunday night, which is Palm Sunday, next Sunday night at 6 p.m., I would like all of my volunteers, we want to appreciate you, we want to love on you, Uh, we're getting ready to enter into a new season, things are changing in the world, thank God, thank God 2020 is over and things are starting to loosen up and and the world is starting to change, we got to make some plans for the future, everything seemed to have, we hit a pause button on everything for about a year and and some, some months now and we're about to shake loose with some things, not immediately but in the future and I just want to love on my volunteers. So if you volunteer here in any way, shape, or form, if you're an usher, if you help clean the church, if you work in the nursery, if you're uh, on the praise team, however, if you do anything here at the church, uh, 6 p.m. next Sunday night, my wife and I just want to love on you and show you some appreciation. So please try to come. I'm going to give you some stuff. Uh, there there going to be some, some, some snacks, but there's going to be some free stuff too. So maybe I'll bribe you and you'll show back up. Um, but there's no football games or, or anything to watch, so just come on out, and let, and I, I won't keep you long, about an hour. Uh, I just want to kind of vision cast a little bit, love on you a little bit, and, and maybe get some inspiration from you going into this next season, because I'm expecting big things. I told you in January that 2020, the devil made it seem like he was stealing from us. I'm claiming everything times seven that the devil took from us in 2020. He's got to give it back. I'm claiming souls for the kingdom. I don't know. Listen, I, I, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm past the season where I just want to speak blessing over God's people that are already saved. You're already on your way to heaven. I, I've done all that. I've preached all that. I believe all that. I believe God's choices, blessings for you. But in this season, in this dark age we live in, we need to win souls because Jesus is coming back soon. I've never been more convinced that right now is the time for you and I to be on the firing line and telling God uh, that we are ready to go and go behind the enemy's camp if we have to and rescue those that are perishing because Jesus is coming soon and I don't want one person in hell to know my name. I want this kingdom to come and his will to be done. And if you are on board with that, listen, we're, that's, that's, we're marching. God gave us a new location. He's given us new inspiration and that inspiration is not not so we can feel good about us, but that we can rescue the perishing that are bound for a devil's hell. And if you believe that, put your hands together and give God some praise. Yes. I believe in blessing. I believe in you being blessed and healed and multiplied. But we've preached all that. We've done all that. And he has matured us to a point now to where we ought to be sharing what it is that he's already done in our lives. Because those that need Jesus are in worse shape than you are. And I don't care where you're sitting this morning. You say, my body aches. I've got a sickness. The doctor says I'm not making it. The mortgage is due. The bank has called a note. None of that matters as much as somebody that is lost without Jesus Christ. You are still in better condition than they are if you're on your way to heaven. Because I've just come to the conclusion. I'll take the vaccine. I won't take the vaccine. I'll catch COVID. I won't catch COVID. Here's the deal. When I check out, my last breath here will be my first breath in glory. And that is a promotion. I don't care how you look at it. I'm not trying to check out early, but I'm not going to live in fear and and walk around scared over one way or the other. I hope you don't either because you and I, we've got a one-way ticket punched into glory land, and I'm not going to let the devil steal my moment right now because I'm afraid of what could or may not happen. No, 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 no. I'm going to walk around with my chest out saying, I know in whom I have believed. I'm not going to live in fear, and I'm not going to let my hope drown under what could or may be. No, no, no. No, I'm better than this. I'm better 
than this. For the past three weeks, I've been preaching to you a series called I'm Better Than This. And I've been thinking a lot about how strange the world has felt since this time last year. This time last year, I was still pretty convinced that after about two weeks, we'd just go right back to normal. I really did. I thought it would be about a two-week thing. Everything would shut down. I was really shocked that they shut everything down, to be honest with you. I can understand them sending kids home from school, but I was shocked that, that Walmart's closed down and restaurants. I was shocked. So I thought, there's no way we can survive very long. Two weeks maximum, we'll be back. I was still in that mode this time last year, thinking, oh, surely we'll come back real soon. I kept hearing people making plans for when things get back to normal. Well, I've decided now everything's never going back to normal. I don't think doctor's appointments will ever look like they used to. I, don't, I think that, that people have found out that it's easier to do things online and do things by video, and, and they're just not going to pay rent on offices anymore. And they, I'm convinced some things in the world has changed forever. Uh, some things will go back to normal, and thank God it feels like we're starting in the early processes of getting back to normal. But truthfully, this has lasted a lot longer than I ever expected it to. Stores are still not normal. Restaurants are still not normal. Airports, schools, churches. And we can't just snap our fingers and act like the last 13 months didn't happen. I, I, I've had a hard time trying to describe what I have seen on people's faces everywhere I've went since last March. I'm a study, I'm a student of people. I watch people. I study people even when they don't know I'm studying them. And it's been very difficult for me to verbalize what I have saw on people's faces. They say, oh, I'm fine. But their faces betray them. Their faces doesn't say that they're fine. Their words don't sound like they're fine. They aren't as friendly as they used to be. I don't know if you've noticed this, but people smile less than they used to. There's less optimism in the world. The, 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 the community of faith has even taken a sucker punch to our hope. It doesn't seem like people believe as much as they used to believe. They, their, their hope has been replaced by fear and caution and worry. I'm going to start this morning by preaching one verse out of 2 Samuel chapter 4. I'm better than this. I'm going to explore two things for you this morning. I don't think I'm going to get very shouty because I need you to let this sink into your spirit. 2 Samuel chapter 4. We're in the life here of Israel where Israel is in turmoil. They have been a, a, a nation that has known God's blessings. And they have also, through the years, known what it's like when they forsake God and God leaves them to their own devices. In 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible says, Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. And you don't like your name. John don't sound so bad now, does it? He had a son named Mephibosheth who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. That's his father and his grandfather. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. 
But as she hurried away, she dropped him, and he became crippled. She dropped him, and he became crippled. She was carrying him. She dropped him, and he became crippled. One of the most difficult things to manage in your life is when you find yourself down when you used to be up. One of the hardest seasons that you will ever have to work yourself through in life is when you lose your balance, when you trip, when you fall. And once you have fallen, your life changes forever and you remember what it was like when you used to be up. Life is not equal. It is not a static level line. It is full of highs and lows and mountaintops and valleys. You and I, if we live enough days, we will experience both high and low enough that we will know what it feels like before it even gets to us. And one of the hardest things for you as an adult, as a teenager, is for you to recognize that I have fallen and I will never be the same. And the reason is, and I've broken it down like this, there are two things that happen to you when you fall. Two possible scenarios when you fall. The first one is, sometimes when you fall, you hurt somebody else. That's what happened to our friend here, Mephibosheth. He was being carried by his nanny, his babysitter, his daycare worker, the woman who was responsible for him, the woman who was judged to care for him. She did her best, but she still dropped him. When she fell, she dropped the child. And this brother is going to live the rest of his life as a cripple. Not because of anything he did, but because of what somebody else did to him. Sometimes people hurt you. I feel like I should encourage some of you who may be sitting in this room this morning or watching by live stream and you have been dropped. Emotionally. You've went through some seasons where not by any choosing of your own, but things that other people have done to you has caused you to become lame. And you become emotionally lame. You become spiritually lame, which means you become numb to your feelings. And you, my friend, did not choose to end up crippled. You didn't pick this for you. Somebody who was supposed to help you. Somebody who was supposed to provide for you. Someone who said they would love you forever. Somebody who made an oath to you. Somebody that took your vulnerability and used it against you. Those people that you trust and loved and agreed with for a season they picked you up and then they dropped you and now you sit here a cripple an emotional cripple maybe a relationship cripple maybe a mental cripple and you don't know how to handle life anymore you're still judging this scenario by what happened there not because of what you did to you but because of what somebody else did to you and you sit here this morning or you watch me online and your pain is is real. Your suffering has been long. 
And you can't imagine a reality where you don't suffer with this pain that you feel. But hold on. There's healing for you. Everyone who has been dropped by somebody else, can I just testify this morning that no matter what they did to you, Jesus has never let you down. No matter who dropped you back then, you're here today not because of what they did to you, but because of what He did for you. And by His grace and by His mercy, He opened up doors for you that you didn't know you needed open. He shut other things. See, the devil would have had you dropped another time and another time. And if the devil had his way, he'd still be dropping you right now. But ain't you glad the devil ain't in charge? That Jesus picked you up and heals you and makes a way where there seems to be no way and causes doors to fly open and puts favor in your life. And you got the right person beside you right now. Now. You got the right boss now. You've got the right kid now. You thought after you was dropped, you was done for. But God came on the scene and said, you ain't seen nothing yet, baby. Let me pick you up and make everything all right. Our problem is sometimes we let what others have done to us overshadow what God is doing for us. And we spend our life as victims. Because I wouldn't be this way. If they hadn't have dropped me. I wouldn't be angry if Bill hadn't have left. I wouldn't be so, I wouldn't be so cantankerous if, if she would have treated me right. You don't understand. I grew up in a house where mama was an addict and my daddy was gone. And I'm, I, I don't know how to have relationships. And we spend our life making ourselves victims because we pay more attention and give more power to what someone has done to us than what Jesus has done for us. So that's the first thing that can happen in a fall is that when you fall, you can hurt someone else. And the second thing that assuredly is going to happen to you is when you fall, you're going to hurt yourself. 2 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 25, David hears about his best friend Jonathan. His best friend Jonathan, who was Mephibosheth's father. His best friend, who the Bible says they were, they were kindred spirits. Their souls were knit together. When he heard about Jonathan dying on the battlefield, here was his response. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Listen to the tone of David's voice. He is distressed. Because he is watching people that he cares about fall. I'm going to stand here this morning with this light shining on my face. Being broadcast all over the globe and tell you that I have been distressed in my ministry. Watching friends of mine fall. I have watched mighty men and women of God who preached much better sermons than I ever hoped to. Had anointing in the altars. They were able to witness to people and show them the depths of God, the likes of which I've never seen before. And I've watched those people fall. When they study pastors, when they do uh, blind, uh, confidential studies, they find that most pastors have a sincere, strong fear of falling. As a matter of fact, when they interview pastors and ministry leaders that have lost their ministries due to indiscretions, most of them usually say that the primary reason that they fail was because they stopped being afraid 
of falling. See, when you're afraid of falling, you take caution. When you're afraid that it could happen to you, you watch your step. If I'm afraid of falling, I'll make sure that when I walk out here, I don't get too close to the edge. I'll pay attention to my environment. Oh, I will even pay attention to who's with me. But if I lose my fear, I'll become reckless. I'll let things in that shouldn't be, and I'll let things out that I needed. So I want you to pay attention to what happens when you fall and you hurt yourself. Because you don't have to be in ministry to be afraid of falling. Some people are afraid to fall completely in love. Oh, they'll fall in love, but not totally. Just in case. I'll give you 90% of me, but I'm holding back the 10 that would really hurt if you did me wrong. They're always braced for another attack. They'll be your friend, but you'll never get all of them. Because they're always waiting on another letdown. They're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. They're always waiting around for another disappointment. When you don't answer one of their texts in the time frame that you, they think you should, they immediately suspect that you don't want to have anything to do with them anymore. They write you off and they say, well, you're just like so-and-so. They dropped me and now you're dropping me too. Is this making any uh, difference in anybody's life? Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? You did this, they did that, and I'm, everybody drops me. What happens is you begin dropping yourself. If you're in a marriage, you can't have one bag packed. You can't have one foot in a relationship and the other foot out the door. See, once you've fallen before, what happens is we start making a defense mechanism that kicks in that helps us guard against future pain. But I don't care what kind of defense you build up. Life will happen. You can brace against it. You can halfway expect it. But life will find a way to sucker punch you. You walk around with your chest puffed out saying, I'll tell you one thing. Ain't nobody ever going to hurt me again. Hold on. I'll tell you one thing. I've been married 20 years. I wouldn't put up with. And life shows up and says, pow. Sucker punch. I'll tell you one thing. If those were my kids, I wouldn't tolerate. Pow. Now you're down at family court. What happened to all them boasts and braggadocious idealisms that you had about, I'll never let my kid do. You haven't had the right kids yet. And then, after life has hurt you enough times and knocked you down enough times and you have fallen enough times, you start talking funny. Because then you start, instead of being so braggadocious, you start putting disclaimers on stuff like, well, I don't think they would. I don't suspect anybody is against me. Or, as far as I know, he ain't never cheated. You start putting little disclaimers because you're trying to buffer the pain as much as possible, but you no longer have confidence. Why do you not have confidence? Because when you fail, you hurt yourself. I've said all of that to get into this story that Jesus tells in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. I'm going to put one scripture on the board, 
And if you would, just leave that scripture up because I'm going to teach through this one scripture. Luke chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus tells the story of a man who fell. And I'm going to teach you about what falling and hurting ourselves really does to us. The Bible says, and Jesus answering said, a certain man went what direction? What direction? He went down. And he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Stop right there. I'll read the rest of it as I break it down. Jerusalem, by definition, means the city of peace. It's God's city. Jerusalem is where the Spirit of God dwells. It's a place of healing. It's a place of devotion. It's a place where you get in touch with God. It's a place where you become an overcomer. It's a lot like the church. As a matter of fact, for my terminology this morning, I'm going to say it's the church. He went down from the church, down, say down. He went down to Jericho. Now Jericho is an image of everything that is broken and dangerous and troubled and lost. In other words, it's like the world. So what this story starts out telling us is, he left the house of God and went down into the world. Mm -hmm. So in, he says he went down. Say down again. Mm -hmm. Down is never a positive place to be heading. If you don't want to be injured, don't head down. If you don't want to lose some stuff, don't head down. If you don't want to be less than you were destined to be, don't head down. Down is not a positive direction. He left the place where God is moving. He left the place where God's healing dwells. See, anytime you leave the place where God is and head down into the world, that's where you're going, down. It happened on the Jericho road. Mm. It always happens on the Jericho road. You get on the Jericho road and friend, you're going to fall. Hear me. If you get on the Jericho road, you're going to fall. This is a 17 mile steep winding remote road that for centuries was famous for being a place where muggers and thieves would rob people. The Bible keeps reading. A certain man went down, say down, from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell. If you get on the Jericho road, if you're leaving God's house and going back to the world, you're going to fall. He fell among thieves. This is an indicator of what happens to you as soon as you begin to fall. When you fall, you start losing stuff. I don't know what it is that the devil's going to thieve you, uh, steal from you and the, send the thieves after. It could be your peace. It might be your joy. It could be your salvation or your family or your life. I don't know, but trust me, if you leave where God is and go down to where the world exists, you're going to lose some stuff because you're bound to fall. That's why the enemy's always trying to get you to leave the confines of the church. Because he wants you 
on the Jericho Road because he knows when you are alone, it's easier for him to steal from you. He went down to Jericho from Jerusalem. He fell among thieves. And look what they did. They stripped him of his clothing. That's the same thing they did to Joseph. You remember when the devil was after Joseph? Do you remember how he had a coat of many colors that his father had given to him? And the Bible says when his brothers beat him and threw him into a pit, they took his coat. They took his covering. This is the same thing that happens to this brother. They stripped him. Why would the enemy, after you have fallen, try to strip you? Why is you being stripped indicative of what happens when you hurt yourself from a fall? I'm glad you asked. The reason he wants you to strip, uh, to strip you is because the covering that you possess is the anointing of Almighty God. And what he's trying to take off of you is what makes you different than everybody else in the world. See, when I go out into the world, I don't have a, a T-shirt that tells everybody I'm the pastor or I'm a Christian. I don't have to have all of that. Uh, it's, there's something about me when I go out into the community that makes me different than everybody else. It's called the anointing. And when you come around people that don't, aren't familiar with what the anointing feels like and looks like, you will confuse them. When you walk into a church like this and you get under an anointed word, and under anointed praise and you start seeking God in the altar and you ask God for an anointing and it falls on you it separates you from all them people down at Jericho that's why you need to remain in Jerusalem because when you, once you get down in Jericho they'll strip that anointing right off of you and you don't feel different with the anointing but the, 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 and you can't see it when you look in the mirror when I look in the mirror I don't look anointed when I look in the mirror I don't see the anointing but you know who knows I'm anointed the thief knows who's a, that I'm anointed, and that's why he's always after it. That's why he's always trying to steal it from me. He was stripped, and he was wounded. Can I tell you that it's easy to wound you after the thief has took your covering? After he's got your anointing, after you have fallen, after you're hurt, it's easy for him to get wounded. Because see, when I'm ministering in a place like this, and you're listening to the sermon, do you know what the Spirit of God is doing with the Word? You know why this Word is alive? It's not like reading War and Peace. It's not like reading the B section of Encyclopedia Britannica. This is a living word. Do you know why it's a living word? Because while I'm ministering under the anointing, the Spirit of the Lord is taking the word and it is telling you and warning you about stuff that is set up against you. And if you miss that, something's going to wound you because you did not have sufficient instruction to deal with it. So you need to understand that he was wounded after he was stripped. After his covering. After what made him unique. After what made him special. He was wounded. Notice the steps that he went through. He was stripped. He was wounded. And then, if you don't hear nothing else I say this morning, somebody needs to hear this. He was left alone. Somebody needs to hear this. Be careful who you run with. 
Be careful who you give your heart to. Be careful who you call friend. Be careful who you take by the hand. Be careful whose lips you kiss. Because listen to me, there are people who are on an assignment from hell to wound you. And I know you're attracted to them, and I know you think that they're good for you, and I know that you love them, and they make your heart go pitter, 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 pitter. But I promise you that there are people that are assigned to wound you, and they don't know that they're there for the wrong reasons. And they are not uh, following marching orders, but they are under an assignment from hell. And as soon as they get you hurt enough, they will leave you alone. Some of us haven't lost our stuff we haven't lost our salvation we haven't lost our joy we haven't lost our peace we've been stripped by thieves thieves that were trusted and loved but they stripped and wounded us I have trusted thieves I have trusted folks that hurt me I have given part of myself to people who used what I gave them to wound me. And when they get you wounded enough, make no mistake about it, when their assignment is over, they'll lose interest and they will leave you alone. So be very, very careful, child of God, when you're in Jerusalem, that you don't fall into the wrong hands. Because there are people who have nothing else on their mind but to lead you a place that God did not destine for you to be. And then the Bible says they left him half dead. Those of you that have been with me for a long time know I get real excited about right now. Because they left him half dead. He left the closeness of God, Jerusalem, the house of God. He left the church. He got beat up. He got stripped. He got wounded. And he got left half dead. How many folk you reckon show up to church every Sunday half dead? And I'm not just talking about those of you that stay up too late on Saturday night. How many folk do you think are staggering through life half dead? Going to work half dead. Going home to a half dead marriage. Paying the mortgage on a half-dead house, writing checks out of a half-dead checkbook. Huh? We're always talking about wanting the dead to be raised back to life, but can I tell you the half-dead ain't never raised nobody. And when the church is full of half-dead believers, no wonder that the dead aren't walking and waking up. The Bible says he was half-dead. I said I wasn't going to shout. He was half dead. Left him half dead. Can I tell you that you don't leave somebody half dead unless you assume that they're going to be dead? You don't leave somebody half dead without the assumption that nature is going to finish them off? When he walked away from him and left him half dead, these thieves, he assumed that there wouldn't be any more of the man. But can I tell you when the devil left me half dead, that's exactly when the devil messed up. Because if I read my Bible right, 
if I'm half dead, that means I'm also half alive. And if I'm half alive, I ain't got to stay the way I am right now because there's just enough on the inside of me to shake myself loose and determine and declare that I ain't going to stay laying here bleeding on the side of the road. If God be for me, who cares who's against me? I'll pick myself up. If I'm only half dead, I still got half of me that's alive. And if the Holy Ghost will give me the strength, I'll get myself up, get myself back to Jerusalem, put myself back on the holiness way, and I'm going to be alive in Christ. Half dead. Devil, you done messed up. You should have finished me off when you had your foot on my throat because I'm still here. So Joseph, Joseph was a ruler in Egypt. You remember this. He was called out. He was, he, he was sold into slavery. He had a terrible experience that ended up elevating him and promoting him. So he spent the rest of his days in Egypt as the second in command. But when he died, he wrote that he did not want his bones left in Egypt. Because he was not Egyptian. And he didn't want to be left in Egypt. So years later, Moses is in Egypt. And he finds the golden coffin of Joseph. And he takes that golden coffin. And he decides he's going to take it and bury it, according to Joseph's command, in the promised land. Well, you know the story. Moses never made it into the promised land. So it was up to Joshua. Joshua took Joseph's coffin, took his bones into the promised land. Now, when you read that story, you'll find out that Joshua buried Joseph in a place called Shechem. That's in the area of Ephraim and Manasseh. When you read the story... It doesn't jump out at you. But I happen to love the Word and the nuances of the Word. And I remember something else that happened in the area of Ephraim and Manasseh, the place now known as Shechem. I remember that Joseph was with his brothers, and they stripped him of his coat, and they beat him profusely. And they threw him bleeding and half dead into a pit. They took his bloody coat back to his father that they had doused with animal blood and told his father that the animals had ripped him apart and he was dead when really they had sold him into slavery. And when they sold him into slavery, the devil figured that Joseph was finished. I wish I had a witness in this church. When they sold him into slavery, the devil had a plan for him. And he ended up having him falsely incarcerated. And he had lies told on him. And he was scandalized. And he was not, in the, he was not operating in his anointing. And he was suffering. And he was facing violence and persecution. And all the things that we think the devil would do. And the devil thought that there in Shechem, he had killed Joseph. Joseph's dreams. Joseph's visions. Joseph's relationship with his heavenly father. 
the devil thought that he had killed Joseph when he left him half dead. But Joseph left instructions. He said, I want you to do me a favor. When I'm dead and gone and my bones are just laying in a coffin, I want you to take my coffin out of Egypt and I want you to take it back to Shechem because I want you to show the devil. If you're going to bring my bones somewhere, bring them back to where the devil thought he killed me and lay my bones and say, you didn't kill Joseph the day you thought he was going to die. He didn't die. You thought you could kill him, but you couldn't kill him. Look at your neighbor and tell him, the devil thought he could kill me. Go ahead. The devil thought he could kill me. He, the devil, do you remember that test you went through? The devil thought he could kill you. Do you remember that mess you survived? The devil thought he would kill you. Do you remember that sickness? The devil thought he would kill you. Remember when you got laid off? The devil thought he would kill you. Remember all that gossip about you? The devil thought he would kill you. Pharaoh chased Moses because he thought he could kill him. They, they, they put Daniel in a lion's den because the king thought he could kill him. They heated that furnace up seven times hotter than it had ever been heated because they thought they could throw three Hebrew boys in and watch them burn. They threw the apostles in jail and left them to die because they thought they could kill them. They stretched Jesus on a cross and drove nails into his feet and hands because they thought he could kill them. But the devil is a lie. He left you half dead. You're still half alive. There's enough inside of you to call forth power and anointing and vision and purpose. You messed up, devil. You should have killed me. Have you ever noticed how God ain't never as shook up about the devil as you are? You ever notice how when he leaves you half dead, you bellyache, post all over Facebook, cry yourself to sleep at night, only to find out that Jesus ain't as upset as you are? Ain't that offensive? Remember when you were little kids, when those of you that still got little kids, maybe you're still going through it. When my kids was little, they'd fall down. And listen, I had three kids. You know, the first kid, when they're like a year old, everything's a big deal. Oh, if somebody's holding a baby and the baby starts crying, you come over, what's wrong? And you start inspecting the baby. When Alyssa was born, for about the first three months, we were so hyper-protective. She'd cry, we'd come running in the room, we'd inspect the whole body. What's causing this sound to come out of her mouth? By the time we get to the third kid, like Hannah could come up to us with an eyeball hanging out of her head. And I'd be like, there's band-aids in the cabinet, baby. I'm busy. I mean, don't you know? You know what I'm saying, right? After about three kids, you're like, if there ain't no blood, we're okay. We're, we're not making a federal case over this. This one sitting on the front pew used to lay on the floor in the church house over at the other church. He would lay in the floor, kick his feet, and bang his head into the floor in the front of the church. Sister Alicia would be having a panic attack. I would be sitting there saying, that's a self-correcting problem. He will eventually knock himself goofy, or he'll get so tired of hitting his own head, he'll stop. 
I did not rush to his rescue. <laughs> By the time you get to the third kid, you're like, it'll be all right. You'll survive. They're crying. They're tormented. Oh, it's the end of my life. I'm going to die and you don't care. I fell down. Look at my boo-boo. You look at him, there's nothing there. I'm going to die and you don't care, mommy. You don't care. You remember how you felt? Because you realized they were overreacting. Because you knew things they didn't know. Well, our Father in heaven, no stuff that we don't know. Because Jesus said, oh, you're intimidated by the devil. You fail and he's taunting you. He hurt you. He stripped you. He wounded you. You fail. Somebody dropped you and you're in a mess. Can I tell you you're better than this? Because I, from my vantage point, I saw Satan fall. <laughs> See? Y'all are letting him beat you up because you fell and now you feel guilty and you feel wounded and you feel like your life is over. You don't understand. He's got to check himself when he comes talk to me because I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. He ain't no better than you are, honey. I watched him fall. Uh, Satan was the envy of heaven. He was the choir leader. But Jesus watched him fall. Like lightning. Listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 14 and 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. How did this happen to you? Do you hear the same language the devil uses against you? Isaiah is using against the devil. Some of you, you should have knew better. You're going to go back to church after all you've you're going to try to get involved in ministry again after all you've done. He uses that language against you. Oh, if them people knew about your past, if those people knew where you've been for the past six months, if those people knew about your divorce, if those people knew how you were strung out on drugs, he uses that language against you. So you need to learn how to hit him with the word. Because Isaiah is using the same language against him. Hey, Lucifer, how'd that happen to you? How have you fallen? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Ain't that Denise that we went to school with? How did she end up overdosing? Wait a minute, ain't that the preacher's son? How's he shacked up with somebody and going to jail over fighting? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't that the preacher who used to be so anointed? How did he fall? Isn't that Becky? She had the big house and the good job. How in the world did this happen to you? People are always shocked to find out that you can fall down as far as you once were up. And it's one thing when you see somebody fall, but it's another thing to have them meet you after you fall. Because we are so quick to judge folks who have fallen. And when we meet them and they are already in a fallen condition, we judge them based on where they are, not where they fell from. And we start judging them, saying maybe they don't want to do any better. Maybe they don't have no good sense. Maybe they're just lazy. And we don't realize that they used to be way up here, but they have fallen. 
But the good news of the gospel is this, and I'm going to get out of your way. No matter how far you have fallen, no matter how low you have been, you can get up from a fall. You can get up from a fall. You've been through this, you've been through that, you've been through the other, but you can get up from a fall because you are better than this. You have been lied on, you have been hurt, you have been abandoned, but you're better than this. You've been lonely, you've been depressed, you've been suicidal, you've been impulsive, you've been nervous, you can't sleep at night, you've been at your wit's end, you've been on the verge of giving up, but you can recover from a fall because you are better than this. I've come to tell you that you can get up. You can get up. I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you. You can get up. You're better than this. It don't matter how far you've fallen. You can get up. And by the way, one of the reasons that the devil hates you so badly is because you did get up. See, when he fell, he didn't get back up. Hello. But every time he comes into your house throwing some kind of mess at you, you come staggering back into church saying, I'm back. My knees are bloody. My eye is black. I lost the use of my arm. I feel beat up. I've been through the ringer. I've been on the battlefield. I don't feel like I used to feel. I've fallen and got up and fallen and got up. But I'm back. He fell and made hell his home. And you've been through hell and made it back. You've been through depression and made it back. You've been through divorce and made it back. You lost that child to drugs and you made it back. You lost your mind and made it back. You lost your joy. You lost your peace. You lost all of the giftings that you had at one time and all the people that surrounded you and supported you. And you made it back. When Satan fell into hell, he built a house, stayed there. He put you through hell, and you're still here. You can recover from a fall. You're better than this. I know I'm talking to somebody in this room this morning or somebody that's watching online. If you go back and finish the story of Mephibosheth, here's what you'll find out. David had become the king. Years later. And he asked his associates, He said, you know, I loved Jonathan. I even loved Saul. Is there anybody left from the house of Saul? Or are they all dead? Because if there's anybody left, I want to bless them. They said, there's one left. He's a cripple. His name's Mephibosheth. He lives in a place called Lodabar. David said, go get him and bring him. David said, David, maybe I should put a pronoun to describe 
He's King David. King David said, go down to Lodabar and get this brother named Mephibosheth and bring him to me. Because I've got a seat of blessing at my table. And he didn't do nothing to earn it. And he didn't do anything to deserve it. But I want to extend kindness. I'm going to make a place for him to sit and be blessed for the rest of his life. And they went and got Mephibosheth and they brought him to the king's palace. And King David said, you'll never live another day that you don't eat from the king's table. You don't have to go back to Lodabar. Lodabar is where you run when you're depressed, when you're tormented, when you have fallen, when somebody has dropped you and you have no other options, you run to Lodabar. But you don't ever have to go back to Lodabar again. For the rest of your life, you're going to sit at a seat of blessing at the king's table. You've been hurt and you didn't choose to be hurt. You've been damaged by somebody else's wrongdoing. And I can't do a thing about you being crippled. I can't help that you're wounded. You're going to carry that for the rest of your life. But one thing I promise you is you'll never live another day apart from my table of blessing. I can't help that you are lame. But I can feed you from my table. And I came here this morning and I've preached for 51 minutes to tell somebody that the king knows exactly where you are. And he is preparing a seat of blessing. The devil would like to point out to you this morning all the ways that you have been wounded, all the pain you are carrying. Somebody dropped you. Somebody hurt you. Somebody abandoned you. Somebody injured you. And the devil wants to poke his finger in it and show you how painful it is. I know some of you are lame. Some of you are walking with a limp. Some of you will never walk straight up again because of all the damage done. But rest assured, even though you are scarred, even though though you are lame, even though you are wounded, the king knows exactly where you are and he's making a seat of blessing for you. There's healing for your hurt. You may walk with a limp for the rest of your life. You may be wounded. You may have scars. You may be damaged. But you can also be blessed. You can be crippled and blessed. You can be blind and blessed. You can be alone and blessed. Yes, He'll make a seat for you because He knows where you are and He's not afraid of your pain. Would you stand with me all over this building this morning? I want to know where all my wounded believers are this morning. Hey, hear me when I say this. We're bad in the church world for being phonies. That's why the world can't relate to us most of the time. They come into the church and we put on this face like we're all perfect and we don't have no flaws and we don't hurt nowhere. Because we think that we got to help God out and lie and say nothing bothers us because that's walking in faith. 
That's not walking in faith at all. Walk, as a matter of fact, if you ain't never got nothing wrong with you, what do you need faith for? Walking in faith is, I'm hurt, but I'm still here. Walking in faith is, I'm injured, but I came back. Walking in faith is, I didn't do everything right. I fell down, but I came back. Because I serve a God of the comeback. And I have made some mistakes. I have fallen myself. Maybe I was dropped by somebody else. And my life has not been a novel that looks like, that reads like a sweet surrender. But my novel is still being written. And I haven't given up. And the king hasn't given up on me yet. There's still another chapter. Don't think about killing me yet, devil. You had me half dead. And now I'm back to let you know that I'm going to sit at the king's table. Snatch my blessing. Whew. So I want to know where all my wounded believers are this morning. I want to know where my real Christians are. People who are not afraid that the people around you will know that you have got some scars, that you have got some wounds, that you are damaged somehow. And you walk in here every Sunday and praise God not because you're free, but in spite of the pain. Where are they at? Where are you? I'm looking, I've had enough fake and phony stuff. I've been doing this too long. I want to know where my people are. They say, I love Jesus, but I'm hurt a little. I love God and I got faith in God, but I've been, I've been dropped. As a matter of fact, Pastor, you may not know it by looking at me standing here, but I'm lame. I'm emotionally lame. I'm spiritually lame. I'm numb from the waist down. Don't know how to fix it. Don't know how to rectify it. But I'm here. And I'm believing God that He's got a blessing for me. Even if He doesn't heal all of my hurt, I'm believing that He's going to bless me. Right here. Right now. Some people already got the idea. They're already coming to this altar. If that's you and you're wounded... You half dead, get your half alive self up here. Devil beat you, he stripped you, he wounded you, but you're not dead, you're still here. Make a seat at your altar and come up to this altar. Get out in the aisle, I don't care where you go, but God's making a seat for you. Can you feel it? Can you feel it? He's making a seat of blessing at the table. He's making a seat of blessing for you. Every damage, every hurt, every wound. All my crippled folks. Bring your half-alive self up to this altar. And let the devil know you should have killed me when you had me in that pit. Because I got reminded this morning, devil, before I ever fell, you did. And you're going to fall again. In the name of Jesus.